We are in a series on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this morning we will be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. We started out by looking at some of the passages where Jesus as Lord is referring to the fact that he is God. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And in that verse, when it says confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, it's talking about believing that Jesus is God. Then we saw in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44, Jesus using Psalm 110 to prove that this long-awaited Messiah, Israel's king, would be both God and man. That the term Lord there helps show that the Lord is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. In order for him to be able to die for sin, he had to be man. In order for him to rise from the dead, never to die again, he had to be God. And so from those two passages as a diving board, we made two general statements or premise statements that undergird the rest of our study. The first of those statements is this, the reality of Jesus as Lord calls his disciples to life-changing choices, to life altering choices. The second premise is this. The reality of Jesus as Lord has everything to say about how you live your life, about how I live my life. You see, the implications of the fact that Jesus as Lord meaning that Jesus is God, the implications of the God-man dying for us so that he could purchase us out of bondage to sin and rising from the dead, showing that his work is complete and accepted by God, proving that he is God. The reality of Jesus as Lord, as God, for a Christian, has everything to do with how we view our life, not just on Sunday, The Lordship of Jesus Christ has everything to say about how we view our work. The Lordship of Jesus Christ has everything to say about how we view our possessions. And today, in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look at the reality of Jesus as Lord as it pertains to singleness and marriage. And in looking at that, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is promoting undistracted devotion to the Lord. And his point is going to be this. Consider singleness as a way for a person to give Jesus even more unfettered, undistracted devotion to the Lord than being married. So I'm going to read the verses together. It's not often that we come to a passage of Scripture that's talking about the benefits of singleness, but this is one of them. And uh, we'll also see that Paul is not against marriage, but he wants us to think Christianly 
about singleness. I'll start reading in verse 25 because we're going to see that part of the verses that we will look at today are going to look backward and forward. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is married is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what's appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And Paul actually has a message for both married and single today. And that is that as those who are Christians, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus' lordship, his being master over our lives, calls for us to give him undistracted devotion. Several weeks ago, I was uh, asked to be a fill-in speaker for uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Our Eastern Iowa Director of FCA offices here at Faith Bible Church. He had lined up a speaker for a Monday noon and the person was not able to fulfill the speaking engagement, so he asked me to do it. And so I went over to Washington High School and met with two groups of ninth through 12th graders uh, meeting during two separate lunch hours. There were about 50 students jammed into a small room in both of those lunch hours. And it was really a special time for me. And I enjoyed it immensely. And the thing that probably surprised me the most was that the students paid attention. I mean, I talked to them for 20 minutes, both sets, and they gave me undivided attention. I mean, I had, they were, they were following along. I could see that I had eye contact and except for three or four little kind of some girls that were acting a little squirrely during one session, which we have to allow that. I had their undivided attention. Now, that's not easy in today's world. That's not easy for adults. I mean, we live in a Twitter society. 120 characters or less. We're, we're used to Snapchatting and tweeting and, 
and uh, all of the the vast amounts of communication that are coming our way, and we have we can unlock our car with our cell phone and we can make our garage door go up and down with our cell phone and we have all of this great stuff that we think has brought us so far from our grandparents day and yet we're probably more encumbered than we used to be it's not easy to give anyone undistracted attention we have to work at it we have to be purposeful about it. It requires a conscious effort. And the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is calling his readers to make a conscious effort to provide undistracted attention to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, we are going to begin this morning with a hinge sentence. It's a sentence that concludes one section and introduces the next. We find that sentence in verse 32. It's simply this, but I want you to be free from concern. That sentence is a hinge sentence because it concludes verses 25 through 31 and it introduces verses 32 through 35. So it hinges between the two sections. It's a conclusion for one and an introduction for the other. Here's Paul's point. Jesus as Lord deserves our undivided devotion. Now, to make his point, the first thing that the Apostle Paul does is in verses 25 through 31, he's going to challenge us to live according to our position in Christ. Meaning, at the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment I place my faith in Jesus Christ, we become a different person. The Spirit of God comes into our heart and dwells within us. We are no longer bound to sin, to our sin nature. We become adopted sons and daughters of God. We have a new relationship. We have a new purpose. And he he starts doing a work in us where we start viewing life, thinking about life in a different way. And Paul says, because Christ is in our life, because he's purchased us out of bondage to sin, it's important for us to live out our position in Christ. He's going to talk about a new grid through which we view life. The grid of the fact that Jesus Christ can come back anytime. His return is imminent. And because Jesus Christ can come back at any time, the Apostle Paul is going to say that is going to have a bearing on our decisions, on our priorities. And so he's going to talk about this whole living out our who we are in Christ and this new grid of the imminency of Christ in our decisions. He's going to use that as the framework to talk about singleness and marriage. And it's a good passage to remind us that we need to think Christianly about singleness. 
He's going to start talking in verse 25 about those who have never been married. He refers to them as virgins. And he's going to ask that people consider not marrying. For one reason, in verses 26 through 28, the times are hard. It's a difficult time to be a Christian. That was as true when Paul wrote it as as it is today. And we are going to find here in the United States that it's going to become increasingly difficult to live out our Christian life. He's also going to say in verses 29 through 31 that people should consider singleness because the time is short. That Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Our lives need to be lived with purpose. That decisions need to be made based on the brevity of time that we have left here on this earth. And then he's going to say in verses 32 through 35 that singleness provides a greater opportunity for undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ than being married. And so from that perspective, we want to begin looking at these verses. And we're going to start by just looking at the first sentence in verse 32, which is simply, I want you to be free from concern. The imminent return of Christ should direct our lives and not our marriage or not our stuff, our possessions. Christ should have first place in our lives, even over a spouse or even over our things. So Paul begins, verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it's good in view of the present distress that's good for a man to remain as he is. And he's going to go on and say... If a person is married, stay married. If a person is single, don't have marriage be your first priority. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. So Paul's going to go on and say one of the reasons why Christians should consider the benefits of singleness is that our time here on earth is brief. It's short. And he's going to go on and and talk about that in verses 29 through 31. He says, but this I say, brethren... The time has been shortened. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now what is Paul saying there? Is he saying, men, ignore your wives? No. That would violate other verses in the Bible, wouldn't it? For example, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says that husbands are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. So it's not saying men ignore your wives. It is saying this, that husbands should not put their wife in first place in their life. There's only one place, one person that deserves first place, and that's Jesus Christ. 
He goes on talking about other everyday aspects of our lives. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. So Paul's saying there's nothing that we own or purchase or no one, our children, our spouse, that should have the number one priority in our lives other than one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one that should be in first place over our possessions, over our spouse, Jesus Christ should have first place. Why? Because our time here is short. Barbara and I were married in September of 1983. We were married for two weeks and we moved to Dallas, Texas. And we were just going to work in Dallas for a year, so we tried to find a place to live. And we ended up moving into the servants' quarters of a huge mansion in North Dallas. The home had its own tennis court. It had a pool. There was often a Rolls Royce or a Bentley parked in our driveway. We were living amongst the wealthy of the wealthy, wealthiest of the wealthy in North Dallas. The next door neighbors was the son of the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. The other neighbor owned an oil company. Just fabulous homes. When my father came down with our little trailer of stuff and drove onto our street, he thought, where have these kids ended up moving? So it was wonderful for about eight months until the lady who owned the property decided to sell. And then we moved into married student housing a Dallas seminary. Downtown Dallas with all kinds of projects around us. There was an ethnic group here, another ethnic group here, uh, all kinds of government subsidized housing. Uh, we had a man shot and killed in our parking lot of our apartments. It would often, my wife would go out to our parking lot and get ready to uh, go to work and there'd be someone asleep underneath her car and she'd have to ask the person to get out so she could pull out. It was just life. And they weren't real nice. I remember one morning I was going to go play tennis with someone and I came out of our, our back door onto our deck and there was a huge rat uh, straddling our window of our apartment, just kind of laying in the sun. It really creeped me out. We had huge rat problem in our laundry room. The roaches were so bad that if one of our neighbors would try to do something about the roach problem in their apartment, they just moved to ours. And so we'd turn on the lights and there'd be this scattering effect. It was so bad that from May through about October, we had to sleep in our living room because the air conditioning was so pitiful that uh, it wouldn't even keep our apartment cool. And I always wondered, why didn't Dallas Seminary take better care of those apartments? Well, we found out. Because after we left, they bulldozed them down and they built beautiful married student housing there now. You see, they knew those buildings were temporary. And so they made a conscious decision not to invest heavily into them. And one of the points that Paul is making in these verses 
is that we shouldn't invest too heavily into what's temporary here on earth. Paul is going to challenge us to think as eschatological people. Now that's a big word, eschatological. It's based on the Greek word eschatos, which means last. So sometimes we're familiar with going to an eschatology conference. It's the study of the last things. To have an eschatological mindset, to be an eschatological person, is one who the end has a bearing on today. That we use the fact that our time here on earth is short to help guide us in our priorities and our decisions today. It has everything to say about how I view my possessions, how I view my family, how I view life. And Paul's main point is found in the first sentence of verse 32. I want you to be free from concern. Now, in verses 32 through 35, the apostle is going to specifically talk about marriage. And these are good verses for us to remember. That as Christians, we need to think biblically. We need to think Christianly about singleness and marriage. We often talk about marriage, but it's also important for us to think Christianly about singleness. And Paul says there are some great benefits to singleness. Being single gives a person greater potential for undivided devotion to the Lord than being married. Notice with me verse 32 again. I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now the word world there is not being used in a neg- with a negative connotation. It's simply saying that this structure in which we live today, the reality of it is this. For a man to be married, it requires him to not only give the Lord attention and devotion, but also his wife attention and devotion. If we don't do that, we are not honoring the Lord. But our attention as a married man is divided. For a single man, his life is less complicated because he really only has to think about giving his devotion to the Lord, not necessarily a spouse. He goes on to talk about the fact in verse 34 that says his interests are divided. Literally, the word interest is not in the Greek text. It just says he's divided. He's divided in his affections between the Lord and his wife. If we go on then to verse second part of verse 34, Paul starts talking about women, and he talks about two groups of women. Women who are unmarried, and then women who are virgins. Meaning those, the virgins would be a reference to those who have never married before. And then the other category, women who is unmarried, is those who have been married, but aren't married anymore for whatever reason. So there's two groups here of single women. 
those who have been married, those who haven't. And Paul's counsel is this. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, meaning so she can be set apart completely for the Lord's. Her whole person is can be devoted to serving Jesus Christ. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world. Again, not a negative use of the word world, how she may please her husband. Paul says, I'm not trying to constrict you. In chapter 7, verse 7, he talks about, I wish everybody were as I am, single. But not everybody can accept that. It's a gift. Those of you who know me well know that my greatest asset is my wife. Uh, We all shudder to think what I would be like without my wife. It would not be good. And, and I desperately needed her in my, in my life. And our 33 years, she is still having a major effect on trying to help me yield myself in a better way to the Lordship of Christ. But some people have a gift where they can honor the Lord and serve the Lord fully with a wonderful full heart. And they do that in their singleness. And Paul says it's it's a wonderful thing to have the ability to just devote yourself to serving Jesus and not be encumbered by having to have a split heart, also having to uh, serve a husband. And sometimes that husband's not a godly husband, which really makes it more difficult for the Christian wife. So Paul here is encouraging men and women to think about singleness. Now, we're in a series on the Lordship of Christ, and I don't want you want us to miss, in verses 32 through 35, how many times the concept of the Lord is in these verses. Notice in verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. One who is married is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 34, uh, his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, how she may be holy in body and spirit. And then in verse 35, he says, I'm trying to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. You see, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is God who died for us and purchased us out of bondage to sin, we owe him our all. The Lordship of Jesus Christ, Christ, his being master over our hearts and lives, has an effect on our priorities. We owe him our all. And here Paul says, consider singleness. Because singleness allows us even a greater potential to give him the devotion the service that he deserves. Right now, I am helping my youngest son think about his first job out of college. He is deep into the job search. And right now, he is a little bit more concerned about where he lives than he is about what job he has. And he's able to do that because 
He is traveling light. He has nothing and he owes nothing. So fortunately, he has no debt. He also has no money. He is pretty much close to how he entered the world. He's even, he's even driving dad's old car. So he could fit his earthly possessions into the back seat of a 2004 Toyota Corolla and probably have room for a passenger. He's traveling very light. But because he has no debt and he has nothing, he, he can go pretty much where he wants to go. He's applying for jobs in Portland and in Boston and every place in between. And he kind of has this attitude of, I don't really have to have a nice place to live. I just want to live in a nice place. That's kind of what he's thinking. And so he is viewing these years ahead as, I can pretty much go anywhere because he's traveling light. And one of the overriding themes that Paul is challenging us to do, whether we're married or single, is as much as possible, we need to travel light. And that has a lot to say about our everyday decisions. That our days are short. Jesus could come back this afternoon. And because of who he is, it demands from us our full heart. Now, just because a person is single is not a guarantee that that single person is going to give Jesus Christ undevoted attention and devotion. You see, undivided attention doesn't come natural. It requires the empowerment of the Spirit of God and a decision of the heart. And just because a person is married does not necessarily mean that they're not giving the Lord devotion. Both single and married need to focus on how can I best travel light? How can I best give the Lord undivided attention? It's important for us as Paul challenges us to think Christianly about the benefits of singleness. If you grew up in a home like mine, I, I have a single brother. He's 59 years old. My mother spent days and weeks worrying about his singleness. Greg, you need to find a wife. You need to find a wife. You need to find a wife. And Greg's response was, by the time I'm 40, I either want a wife or a good horse. And he lives on a horse ranch and he's single. So he made his choice. But what's more important for a parent? Is it to push our children toward marriage or to push our children toward Jesus? And Paul here is saying, we need to push our children to Jesus. Many of them will end up marrying and that's great. But to think Christianly about singleness is to view singleness as a good thing, as a thing of value, as a potential to actually serve Jesus with even more devotion than a married person. Bottom line, for both the married and the single, Jesus Christ deserves our undivided 
attention. Whether married or single, we must serve the Lord with as few distractions as we can. Father, we thank you for these verses and the encouragement they give us, whether we're married or single, that Jesus as Lord deserves our undivided focus, our attention, our devotion. Help each of us to view our lives through the grid of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that he could come today. Help us to consciously try to make decisions that allow us to travel light through this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.